0: To the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 138th episode, our returning guest is Sarah Kenzier. First heard Sarah Kenzier on episode 70, 80, 89, 99, 112, and 128. Sarah Kenzier is best known for her reporting on St. Louis, her coverage of the 2016 election, and her academic research on authoritarian states. She is currently an op ed columnist for the Globe and Mail and was named by Foreign Policy as one of the 100 people you should be following on Twitter to make sense of global events. Her reporting has been featured in many publications including Politico, Slate, The Atlantic, Fast Company, The Chicago Tribune, Teen Vogue, and The New York Times. Her book, The View from Flyover Country, Dispatches from the Forgotten America, was published April 17, 2018, and is now a New York Times bestseller. You can listen to her podcast, which she co-hosts with Andrea Chalupa, Gaslit Nation. Also, a quick shout-out before we start the show to Mercer Suppager, who created the brand new logo for The Rob Burgess Show. You can see more of his work at www.mtsuppiger.com. And now on to the show. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for coming back. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, not much has happened since we talked. No. Oh, God. No big, when did no big... I last <laughs> talk to you? Uh, I think it was when the child separation policy was was oh, happening. Oh God! So like a but, year uh,
1: ago, almost.
0: Three years in my mind, at least. So.
1: <laughs> Seriously.
0: Um, but uh, we have now four incomplete sentences from the Mueller report. Um, and a partisan book report from bill Barr and uh, I think I had probably more faith in Mueller than you did although like once again you know <laughs> uh, you've you've been proven correct uh, in that you know you had a podcast episode as you pointed out that was mueller will not save you so that that came to fruition basically um, uh, first of all I mean let's let's just start with the collusion uh, it what do we we know what's out in the open we know what we see every day how does that not count um adam schiff i thought brought this up rather well the other day in the house uh, committee that he spoke in um what about russia if you're listening does that not count does don jr's meeting not count what about everything else we know how does that all, not all count just because it's happening in the public
1: yeah, it's extremely frustrating because this has been playing out in public, you know, not just during the administration, but during the campaign and then for decades before the campaign and all of these documented illicit relationships that he and members of his team have had uh, with various oligarchs, mafiosos, and sometimes officials. I feel like the Barr memo, um, you know, that four-page memo with 64 actual words from the Mueller report, uh, purposely labeled it Russian government to try to narrow the scope and to make all of these meetings, like, for example, the Trump Tower meeting uh, with Don Jr., uh, fall out of the, um, the category of conspiracy because it's not like literally Putin in the room. But, you know, we've gotten pretty close. Like when Trump went and asked Russia to get Hillary's emails at a press conference, you know, when he committed obstruction of justice by firing Comey and partying with, um, you know, Lavrov in the Oval Office the next day and then bragged about it on TV with Lester Holt. Like those are blatant, Crimes. And I always thought that Barr was hired specifically to, uh, you know, negate whatever potency the Mueller report had. He's like an Iran Contra cleanup guy. He cleans up messes for Republicans. He was there to exonerate Trump regardless of what the evidence says. And that's what his role seems to be. My fear um, is that the Mueller report itself will be a similar form of gaslighting. And I'm hoping that that's not the case because, you know, with all of this evidence in the public domain, Uh, you know, the evidence that Adam Schiff and others have called out, the evidence we've seen with our eyes and heard for years, Uh, it would be very hard to do that. But I've been frustrated with the way that the Mueller report went um, with his refusal to interview key parties, including Trump, but also Assange, um, I also believe, you know, Bannon, Kushner, and with the the lack of indictments for uh, actively dangerous people, and the terrible plea deals that went absolutely nowhere with people People like Flynn and Gates who are dangerous individuals just walking around like I can't judge the report because none of us have seen it I don't know what's in it but I can judge the probe uh and it's like the probe sucks. I mean, I give it like a like a C minus. You know, I maybe mean? like some effort for trying. I don't know if it sucks because Mueller uh, wasn't good at his job, or his team wasn't, or because he was obstructed at many levels by this administration. Who, of course, you know, if he was sincere, did not want him nosing around in all their crime. It's not like it was going to be easy. Uh, But nonetheless, you know, all I could judge is the efficacy. And it hasn't been effective at curtailing corruption and criminality at the highest levels of government, uh, which is what I'm concerned about. So overall, um, disappointing, I guess I didn't have high high expectations yet. I am still disappointed. Um, But I'm I'm very wary about uh, the future. I think things are about to get much worse.
0: Yeah, I remember the first time we ever talked. Um, I was very worried because I was like, "Is he going to fire Mueller? Is that what's going to happen?" But then I never really like, considered. I always thought Mueller, if if it came down to it, right? If it like came down to him being fired or he taken to the Supreme Court, uh, with with the interviewing the president or not. I always thought he would like stand his ground just do the thing and, and he would offer to be fired in the, in the, but he didn't, how is Jared and Don Jr. and Ivanka still walking around? Why aren't they in handcuffs right now? Why aren't they perp walked? We already know they've committed crimes openly blatantly. Um, and you know, I, I, I will give some credit because there are some state, uh, charges still in the offing, I guess. Uh, so, and, and Trump can't pardon those. But wh- why didn't he try to interview Trump on the record? Why not? He can say no and you can take it to the Supreme Court, and Justice Bart O'Kavanaugh will be the fifth vote and he'll make it okay, but at least make him go through the motions, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's about accountability. It's about enforcing rule of law and saying to the American public that rule of law matters and that the president is not above the law. And that if you're the special counsel, you are not working for the president. You're working for the American people to ensure accountability in government. And I'm not sure that that is Mueller's primary concern. I think he's worried about the Republican Party. I think he's very worried about the FBI. I think he's an institutionalist. You know, you have to consider Mueller was the head of the FBI, from 2001 to 2013, meaning that he ran the FBI while a number of the people uh, who he indicted for crimes committed those crimes. Like, you know, uh, Manafort, for example, was indicted for crimes in the early 2000s while Mueller was running the FBI. That did not give me an enormous amount of encouragement because it's like, well, why didn't you get this guy the first time around? You know, you've got Paul Erickson uh, of NRA and Maria Butina fame indicted for crimes he committed in 1996. Like all of these guys could have been and should have been taken down earlier and weren't. And so you have to wonder how effective is Robert Mueller, you know, as a prosecutor, as an investigator? Why was he so light on uh, the Russian mafia? Why was he making seemingly deals that went nowhere that were bad bargains? Um, You know, there's some other talk, you know, Mueller uh, during the time after he left the FBI, but before he was the special counsel, was working for a private firm uh, where he, you know, that firm represented Jared, uh, Ivanka, and Paul Manafort. And from what I've read, you know, Mueller was not directly working on those cases. But the person who waived the potential conflict of interest there is that woman that used to work for Jeff Sessions that CNN just hired to be their propagandist. Like, I was rereading the information about that and I was like, oh my God, well, then her name pops up again. It all looks a bit suspicious. I mean, I don't want to think that Mueller was like a long con and that the whole thing was fake because obviously, you know, there were a lot of people indicted, there were a lot of charges brought, actual things, you know, were investigated and happened. but. I don't know whether his loyalty to country supersedes uh, his desire to not have the FBI in his own record kind of implicated, not in a criminal way, uh, but just in a kind of a humiliation way, like, good Lord, why didn't you do anything to stop these people from getting into power? And I think also to some extent, he's a Republican loyalist. He's a friend of Barr. He's going to give all these guys the benefit of the doubt when they absolutely don't deserve it. And uh, I wonder how much that weighed on the investigation itself, you know, and his faith in American institutions and that we're just going to kind of bounce back from this. You know, Comey is the same way. He's out there saying, oh, yeah, just give it a couple of years. We'll be fine. Like we are not going to be fine. And we were not fine before. And we're certainly not fine now. So, uh, yeah, it it is very frustrating um, that this massive danger to national security is not uh, resolved in any meaningful way. Like we are certainly no safer than we were before the probe began.
0: Yeah, and how is it that just every rock you kick over with these people, there's just a festering pile of corruption? <laughs> like, he had to have turned over something. And to and to say that there's uh, no collusion and, and he can't make a final decision on obstruction, I, I what was your job? Like, that's your whole job. I thought that was the thing you were going to tell us. Yeah, um, What? No, it's, your, yeah.
1: it's so wussy. Like, I'm I just like, where is your courage? Like, you have so much power here. Like, you're literally at a position where you can determine to some degree the course of American history. And all of the evidence in the public domain is on your side. Like, it's very hard to say that Trump did not commit obstruction. Like, we saw it. He did it on TV with Lester Hull. You yes, know, he, exactly. The easiest way. It's not like some sort of complicated financial dealing that you're going to have to explain to the American people like we can just watch the video. Um, And he still won't do it. So I don't know if he's gutless. Uh, I don't know whether this was a little maneuver. You know, he's going to kick it down to Barr, who, of course, is going to obstruct it or kick it to Congress, um, you know, which is not going to act on it with a Republican majority. Either way, I mean, I just keep thinking if I were him right now and I felt that my report were misrepresented grossly by Barr uh, and by the mainstream media who, who had these endless creative headlines saying Mueller report says this, mm-hmm. Mueller report says that, when there's no Mueller report to mm-hmm. look at. If I were Mueller, I'd be really pissed. I'd be like, oh my God, I spent you know years on this investigation and you are butchering the results. You're misleading the American public on a serious issue and you're causing a crisis. And I'd come out and I'd hold a press conference. Mm -hmm. and I would correct all those errors. I don't understand why he's not doing that unless he wants people to think that this might be true. And he wants this narrative to set in. I do not understand uh, the hesitancy. You know, this is not the time for silence. I sort of understood as he was doing the probe uh, that he wanted to keep quiet to not, um, you know, mess up on the the protocol of it. And, you know, just basically uh, give information away that would make it less effective as an investigation. But that time is, done. You know, he needs to speak up. And I just keep thinking like, you know, so many people put their lives on the line to confront this administration and its players every day. And you are, you know, just so pampered and in your little DC enclave and you won't come forward for like when the American people need you to fulfill your basic professional obligation. Like what is wrong with you? I I don't get it. You know, not a fan. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, he's a private citizen again, right? He could just come out and say anything that's not classified, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And you would think that he would feel obligated to just because of the news cycle, because of the right. headlines. I just know as an individual, if I had a ton of headlines and major papers about a serious national security issue, like falsely Representing what I said And I think that we can basically say That that's happening because even Barr's memo Said Trump was not exonerated And then you get these Mm -hmm. headlines and you get Trump saying I'm exonerated and then you know People just Mm -hmm. kind of blindly agree With it. You think he would want to make Clear uh, what he thinks Happened, you know, what effect it has On our national security, how safe are We as citizens, what does this mean For our government, and it's as if He's just checked out uh, And he doesn't care what happens next or he thinks that it's like a foregone conclusion what happens next. Mm. I mean my biggest fear is that this is a sort of I mean I hope that this isn't the case because this is like too dark, but it's Trump. So it's like I can't rule anything out. Uh that this is a kind of reality TV show layout where what they want is for everybody to say, okay, bar put out a load of crap. What we need is the Mueller report. We need the sincere, in-depth well, investigated Mueller report to tell us what went down. And I worry that the Mueller report will be a giant gaslighting piece of garbage. And then, but what will have happened, of course, is that all the Democrats will have said, yes, I place my full trust in Robert Mueller and his report. And then we'll be forced to reconcile themselves with this document. So I would encourage everyone to just hold off on having any opinion of the Mueller report until you see the Mueller report. That's the only time that you can have an opinion. And if it doesn't, represent things that we've seen with our eyes and ears if it leaves out events that we've personally witnessed uh which we have because trump is so uh, loquacious on on twitter and on television then i would question uh you know whether there were biases that went into the construction of that report um i don't know why for, and for what reason but i think we can still just use common sense and identify them hope it doesn't come to that
0: mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I sold all my it can't happen stock in 2016, so <laughs> I'm I'm out on that game. So whatever. Right? <laughs> Anything could happen, I guess. But um, you know, okay. So I heard your most recent Gaslit Nation episodes, and uh, they uh, especially the one prior to this last one with the impeach normalization one. Uh it was a very emotional episode, but it strangely made me feel like, yeah, I'm I'm not crazy. Uh people are as upset as I think they should be, finally, um, about this, at least some people are. Um, I wish more people were, of course, but um the comment uh that you guys uh honed in honed in on for uh the Manafort judge about him leading an otherwise blameless life, um what a statement that was. Wow. I mean, because if somebody that blatantly corrupt can't get, uh, at least a stern talking to when they get sentenced, you know, like what what's the hope is there for me? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, that's one of the reasons that I'm I'm worried about the Mueller report and that I'm worried that it may paint a you know erroneous portrayal of things that we see because of statements like what that judge said, which, you know, I think even the Republicans were kind of like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> like otherwise blameless life. Uh, it's one thing to give him. A minimal sentence. And of course, as I mentioned on the show, that judge, um, you know, while an asshole, was also threatened. He was threatened over the summer. He had to have a private security detail. The jury in that case, uh, which did deem Paul Manafort guilty, uh, they were threatened as well. You know, the other judge in the Manafort sentencing was threatened, uh, Amy Berman Jackson. She was threatened by Roger Stone. That's what happens in a mafia state. And I think, you know, this is what we're dealing with. With. And so these proclamations about Manafort and his otherwise blameless life, uh, you know, possibly could have been said out of some sort of sycophantic Mm. idiocy toward the Republican Party, also could have been said out of fear of repercussions from Manafort's camp, because this is a guy who has been working for dictators, for the mafia, for oligarchs, for the most dangerous and brutal people around the world for several decades. Um, You know, you don't really want to get on his bad side. We shouldn't live in a system where uh you know the judiciary is so terrified of the people that are on trial that it feels it needs to be their supplicants but um you know that's what we saw but it was very upsetting uh you know it it was shocking and you know this is a person who you know if you listen to the show has personally uh threatened um you know andrea's family has made both of our lives less safe um yeah and then to have the double punch of those sentencings and then Pelosi coming out immediately after and saying that impeachment is not worth it. When we yeah, have, yeah. you know, who is the person who's by far the worst president of the United States? And I think just one of the worst Americans of all time who has violated blatantly so many laws, has committed so many impeachable offenses that if I named them all, like your show would be, you know, 12 hours <laughs> long. It's just a detestable person who's been accused of multiple crimes for his entire life. Like, if he's not worth it, then who is? And, you know, the feeling of that sentence, really, of that statement was that we're not worth it. You know, the country isn't worth it, that people aren't worth it, that it's not worth fighting dangerous criminals who are destroying our country. And that's a horrible message to send. It's, it's both weak and it's insulting and it denies people's pain and it denies the severity of the situation. And then, of course, um, you know, there's been this farcical argument that the Democrats need to wait for the Mueller report before making any kind of decision regarding impeachment. Like, that's ridiculous, because so many crimes fall outside the purview of the Mueller report, you know, emoluments or abuse of the pardon power, things like that. Like, that's not what Mueller was looking at. But also, like, the job of Congress, the reason they have the impeachment power, is to impeach a criminal president. Is to get rid of a president who becomes a tyrant. That's why that's you know written into um, you know our system. By the founders and for them to just disregard it and be like, oh, yeah, we're just going to vote them out, which is its own set of problems, given, um, you know, how compromised the election system is. I mean, it's just it blows my mind. It is the weakest thing. It's certainly not why people voted in uh, a blue wave of Democrats. So, yeah, very uh, disappointing there.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Nancy Pelosi statement, because uh, that was just so upsetting, because, as you pointed out, he does 10 impeachable things a day. Um, out in the open and just him he's just blatantly unfit for the job. That's one thing. Why can't we just impeach him for that? But anyway, um, you know, uh, they're acting like they get one shot at this, which is really yes. upsetting. And I you don't so get one shot. I'm sick of that
1: phrase. I'm glad you bring up that phrase because that's something that's just bleeded out in my Twitter mentions for the longest mm-hmm. time was, they all, you know, Mueller only gets one shot. Pelosi only gets one shot. It's like, that's crap. He committed like a shitload of crimes. Mm-hmm. Like we've got many, many shots. If one of them doesn't work out, then, you know, keep firing. I mean, it's, It's absolutely ridiculous, and I don't know why they have that position, and it's also With impeachment, um, you know, I I don't think that it will actually succeed in removing Trump. You know, you can be impeached and stay in office. You have to, you know, decide whether it's right to go. You know, in the case of Nixon, who had committed, uh, you know, felonies, he decided to resign before, you know, he could be impeached because I think he saw what was coming down the road for him. With Clinton, um, in a case that, you know, while what Clinton did was disgusting, it was, you know, a Republican witch hunt. It was an attempt to get Clinton removed from office that was the goal and then they were looking for a crime it wasn't that they found a crime and they needed to remove him uh that was different and he stayed trump has committed uh you know, countless crimes. He will never go. I mean, I think even if he's voted out, we're going to have trouble getting him to leave. He's going to say that it's rigged, and he's just going to sit there. Um, so the point of impeachment is not necessarily to remove him. I mean, ideally it is. The point is to get information out to the public, and we've had hearings that have been very effective in doing that. You know, the Comey hearings early on were effective. The Cohen hearing more recently was effective, and the Democrats don't seem to really. Want to do that either. And when they have a hearing, uh, like they did, you know, the one where Schiff spoke recently about Russia, they're very ineffective at promoting it to the public. Like, I don't get why they're not OJ trialing the shit out of this. You know, I work enough in media to kind of know how to hype something up, how to give it attention. I don't know why they're not trying to better convey what's happening to the American public. And granted, it should be bipartisan. The Republicans should be as concerned about this as the Democrats. They're obviously not. Their concern is, you know, being implicated in the crimes. So, of course, they're not going to tell everyone when Adam Schiff is live on C-SPAN. But, um, yeah, I, it's just it's a weird dereliction of duty. And it's a, a culture of fear. You know, it's the same vibe I got during the Manafort sentence. Things where you just sort of sense that everyone is very afraid and that the full story is not being told. Um, and that's a frightening thing to deal with just as a citizen.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think of the argument, though, on the other side of it, that if you do what you say and impeach him and it doesn't work, you give them more power because they look stronger? I mean, that argument that?
1: cracks me up because that argument assumes that we are living in a shared reality in which we are basing our emotions on things that actually happen. Whereas for the Republicans and for sort of the Fox News Brigade, and certainly for Trump, the reality is created by Trump. I mean, he's tweeting out that he's been exonerated by Mueller. Like, that actually did not happen. And so all the tribulation, all the celebration is based on something that he he has just made up. If Barr's report um, had condemned Trump and said he was a criminal, he would have reacted in the same way with, you know, vengeance and desire for vengeance and with a kind of, you know, triumphalism, like I've proven somehow this report is fake. Like It doesn't matter in some sense um, what actually happens in terms of how Trump is going to spin it and how he's going to promote it. Like he's never going to be shamed. He's never going to be silenced. He's never going to admit defeat. He's just going to make shit up uh, until, you know, he convinces people that he's won something. Um, You know, so the people that need to hear this, though, are the American public because they're owed an explanation. And so I don't think that Trump can get stronger just because he proclaims um, that he's stronger or he won. And we're actually seeing, this in the polls that have come out after the bar memo, in which all these Americans were bombarded, you know, with Trump's tweets uh, proclaiming a win, uh, with all these headlines saying that Trump had won. They don't believe he's won. They want to see the actual report. And uh, his approval went down. And the approval of the bar memo is extremely low. Like people are not as dumb uh, as they're being portrayed. And I think that everyone could really use and would have appreciate a full airing of all of the evidence and concerns. And so, you know, I don't think I think having impeachment hearings is a win-win for democracy, Uh, you know, in terms of what it does to Trump uh, on a practical level. You know, that's much less uh, clear. But in terms of what it does for our democracy, for establishing rule of law, um, for bringing, you know, uh, issues that have been shrouded in secrecy uh, and criminality to light, that's a very positive thing no matter how Trump reacts to it
0: yeah and and kind of one of my thinking is based on this bar memo I I think that there's probably a lot of really I mean there's got to be right there's got to be some really terrible things that aren't necessarily crimes that I don't think Trump would want people knowing about so that's kind of my hope too is just that there's just enough sliminess in there that republicans find themselves defending and they might have a moment of self-reflection they haven't had one yet what do i know
1: (laughs) i think they're afraid i mean they are uh by definition implicated in all of trump's crimes at this point because they've been backing him for two years like the longer this goes on the harder it is for them to extract themselves which is i think why we had so many um so many Republicans quitting early because they knew, you know, the way that this was going. There's so much dark money alone in the Republican party, you know, through groups like the NRA, which we now know were the recipients of Russian money um, and were, you know, colluding with the Russians that you could just be implicated by association, even if you weren't overtly involved in the crime. And so I think a lot of them um, are afraid of that. I don't know whether they'll ever have a moment of self-reflection, Election. I mean, I think if they do, they, they would want to keep it private because of this, this culture of fear. Right. I mean, I suspect that some of them have privately thought like, holy hell, when is this going to end? Get me out of this situation. You know, as for whether there are damning things in the Mueller report, I mean, I would hope so. And I, I do kind of wonder, um, whether kind of similar to his indictments, there's a lot of damning information that skirts around the worst parties, basically Jared, um, you know, Trump, obviously Ivanka, uh, um, Probably skirts around uh, Bannon, certainly around you know Republicans in the administration like Jeff Sessions, uh, who you know has committed crimes, he lied on his clearance forms, and should have been interviewed, but um, but you know probably makes them look. R- Pretty bad, And I think what does scare Trump, um, probably more than impeachment, is having a narrative that he can't control, you know, is having a secret document and he doesn't know what's in it and he doesn't know what contents are going to be unleashed upon the world. And I can't tell really by his behavior at the moment whether he is afraid of that or whether Mueller has informed him or Barr has informed him of what is in the document. I mean, we should remember Barr's son is now advising Trump on legal issues, which may it really hard for me to believe that Trump doesn't know everything um, about what Barr and Mueller are doing. Uh, You know, but it's hard to say, I know he's uncomfortable with that because then his little spin team has to leap into action and come up with some sort of counter narrative and they're very, you know, they're good at that once they have, once they know they're supposed to do it, they whip up all kinds of bullshit and they're pros at it, but um, whether they've done that yet, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, going back to the States, though, it is amazing that when these people come under even the slightest bit of scrutiny, it just, it, it's just a total scam, fraud, every kind of criminality you can imagine. But it's like, you know, I like people like Preparara. I do. I really like him a lot. I think he's got good opinions on a lot of things. I would ask, and you know, I know other people have asked him before. It's like, come on. This was happening right in front of you, and you didn't prosecute him then? Yeah. Like, what was going on? Like, why yeah. not? Yeah.
1: I mean, I've wondered and I, I feel the fact that he was fired early, uh, makes me think he was trying probably to prosecute people oh, because yeah, all the absolutely. people that were fired right, early were people right. who were involved in that process, you know, researchers as well who were looking at the Russian mafia. But yeah, I mean this went on for such a long time. That's why I don't have faith in the state court system or city court systems, because they've turned a blind eye to these crimes for several decades. And not just with Trump, but with Manafort, um, you know, with Stone, with a variety of players associated with the Russian mafia, with white collar criminals, with Wall Street criminals. I mean, it's just been the same thing over and over again, Um, you know, and it it has broken my, I mean, it's not like I had great faith in the system to begin with, but it's it's even worse than I knew because one thing uh, that I can't figure out is since all of these people were under FBI investigation or adjacent to someone who was like Manafort was under FBI investigation in 2014, Uh, Trump's business partner slash FBI informant slash Russian mobster, Felix Sater was often under FBI investigation. Uh, I think it's probably likely that Trump was under FBI investigation, according to the steel memo. Um, He had been since at least 2011. Now, you know, It's one thing to not prosecute them. That's bad enough. But when they start making a serious run for president and they win the nomination and now they're getting national security information and you know that they're hooked up with a transnational mafia syndicate, like you're just gonna let that happen. You're not gonna like, Try to put a stop to it or speak out. And, you know, of course, with Comey, he did the opposite. He did everything he could to help Trump. He went after Hillary Clinton. He, you know, he lied about, in the New York Times lied about the FBI um, investigating all of this. And that was one of the great frustrations of 2016 is that that all happened out in the open as well. You know, like with Paul Manafort, you didn't need to look far and wide to find out about his crimes. You could go on Wikipedia, like they were listed. You know, you could say to yourself this is not a guy we want running um a major presidential (laughs) campaign and having access to top secret classified information uh you know we obviously don't want trump doing that as well and yet, it's like they just let the country go they just put us all in tremendous risk and even if we get rid of trump that risk is going to last you know, Mueller um, continued it by giving plea deals to people like Flynn, who were trying to sell illicit nuclear material. Um, You know, now, of course, that's happening in the open of Saudi Arabia, like, it's deeply troubling, it gives the impression that there's a, you know, basically like a cabal, like in, you know, a transnational crime syndicate with complicit players uh, from America, who are not just the, you know, goons of Trump's team, people like Michael Cohen, but you know, people within the intelligence agencies, people within the FBI who perhaps do not have great loyalty to country. You know, they might have loyalty to party, but that's a different kind of thing. Um, you know, it's troubling to look at those connections. It's troubling to look at what uh, former heads of the FBI did after leaving the FBI. Like, for example, William Sessions, whose FBI head um, briefly during the Clinton era before he was fired, went on to work for the head of the Russian mafia. Like, All of that is is deeply troubling. You know, these interconnected ties, this financial um, and criminal and, you know, state nexus of corruption. I I don't think we've ever had anything like it. And when people in positions of um, prosecutorial power appear to be implicated in it, you know, even if tangentially, that makes it much more difficult to stop. And so I don't even know who we should be looking to at this point to actually stop this because you know we need law enforcement to do it and they've obviously been unwilling to for you know years if not decades and we don't know why and that's what i would like to come out uh if we have impeachment hearings or hearings on the Mueller probe is why you know why didn't you act um and i don't know whether they'll ever tell us whether out of pride or because the answer is too horrifying or what but i do think we have the right to know
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And going back to William Barr, I mean, you mentioned this in your podcast, but uh, he was paid to clean this up, right? I mean, that's why the whole reason he has the job right now. And, you know, he's done this before. He cleaned up Iran Contra. Uh, Shout out to previous Rob Burgess Show guests, uh, Freeway Ricky Ross and director of uh, Freeway Cracking the System, Mark Levin. Um, But uh, he cleaned that up just fine, too. And that's why that's the whole reason he has the job. I mean, he looks more respectable, I guess, than Matthew Whitaker, but I, mean, I guess, but God, you know what I mean. God that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that guy. Um. Anyway, but yeah, he was brought in to do this. That's the whole reason he has the job, and I have no doubt about that.
1: Oh, yeah. And he wrote those memos, you know, on top of Iran-Contra, you know, more recently, he wrote memos condemning the Mueller probe, saying that instead we should be investigating Hillary Clinton and Uranium One, which, of course, is now what the Republicans are proposing we do, you know, they want to close out This chapter of investigating Trump and then move on to investigating The Democrats um, You know, for factious crimes I mean, honestly, I would like A actual investigation into Why the Obama administration Dropped the ball on a lot of these things Like, for example, uh, since we've talked There is that BuzzFeed expose About how the Treasury was infiltrated by Russia in 2015, like, I would like to Know why nothing was done about that I don't think we'll ever get a normal normal non-partisan, non-witch hunt-like investigation, but I do think it's a valid topic um you know all they want to do is turn you know do a 180 at this point uh put the investigators in jail this is such a classic uh authoritarian tactic you know this is what you see in every democracy that transitions into an autocracy is you know a failed investigation results with everyone who had increase in knowledge um, whether they're journalists or officials being locked up uh so you know obviously that worries me a lot um and you know the the talk of that has kind of started to go down after the initial rush um in part because i i mean i'm hoping that behind the scenes people are planning to put the actual uh, unredacted unedited Mueller report out um you know but it's it's very troubling because they just you know, it's purely about power and force. You know, there's no regard for actual rule of law. Uh, You know, Barr does not have it. These uh, pundits and writers who think he respects it are out of their minds. You know, there's nothing to indicate that he does and that he's anything other than a clean up lackey who will lie and who will obfuscate for his own purposes and for Trump. Um, It's pathetic. You know, the same thing is true of Kavanaugh. We do not have, you know, know uh, legal officials that respect constitutional law and i don't know where we go as a country when that's the case
0: mm-hmm. yeah oh that's just so galling and i just i can't believe what, what mitch mcconnell has done to this country yeah <laughs> it's just the worst like it's like when that happened with merrick garland that was like I think I think we broke something that really like we can't get back from until we address that like
1: yes and that's still a mystery to me and I you know not to sound too conspiratorial but when I look at all of the things that were happening around that time um, you know in terms of Russian infiltration into various bodies of government you know like for example the treasury I try to think of like what leverage could an outside party have had over our country or over the Obama administration administration specifically to make them uh, so weak-willed and so unwilling to really put up a fight. Um, You know, they acted as if they were extremely confident that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected and therefore they didn't need to worry about this issue and everything was going to be okay, which is, you know, just so... Uh, So remiss and irresponsible. Uh, But also, you know, in the background, there were all these serious security breaches. You know, we had the State Department hacked, the DOD hacked, and later we had the DNC and the RNC hacked. You know, we had just everything, like a big you know, national security compromise, you think that they would want to be extremely careful that an already fragile system of government does not get further hijacked by things like abusing, uh, you know, House Supreme Court seats. Are filled, But instead, there is just so much timidity and passivity and kind of, oh, don't worry about it, guys. It's all going to be all right. It's like, no, it is not. And, you know, we will bear the consequences. Like, we, the people, like we, the ordinary people, are going to hurt the most um, from this dereliction of duty. And we are. Uh, and, you know, it really puzzles me um, that they behaved in that manner. You know, it's it's very interesting to go back and look at articles from that time where honestly, you know, we were all somewhat more chill about the situation. You know, I don't think any of us were thinking, obviously Donald Trump is an agent of the Kremlin and will win the election in two years. You know, like that was <laughs> the, the, the forefront of anyone's minds, even mine, but, um, you know, nonetheless, you know, we have uh, institutions that they need to be, protected. And they're not just going to magically protect themselves. And I think that that is the mistake on a fundamental level that many people made.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, a lot of people had, you know, blind faith that, well, at least this part will still work, but it's just, it's just because it's like kind of always been that way, but it's not forever and it's not no guarantee. I mean, there's, there's no like, (laughs) there's no, there's no money back guarantee on this. It either is or it isn't. And it is not because people stop doing it. I mean, look what happened to Turkey, look what happened to Hungary, look at what happened to, you know, go down the line.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, And once you lose the judiciary, I mean, that's the most important thing. That was my biggest fear once he won. You know, that was the thing that I was most looking at And when people like um, Preet Bharara or Sally Yates began to be fired. I was like, oh, God, you know, they are doing this, uh, you know, classic maneuver. And then, um, you know, of course it's the Supreme Court that really capped it. I don't know um, how we get the country back from here, although I'm interested in these proposals that, you know, are about expanding the Supreme Court to try to um, overcome this corruption. But yeah, I mean, you can turn, you know, to an autocracy and not Easily return to a democracy We will be dealing with the national Security consequences for a long time And also with the fact that we have A lot of traitors, you know, we have people Who are out selling state secrets We have countries that have had Access, I would assume, to You know, the innermost sanctums of power Since Trump freely sells it to people uh, For a long time, and I don't Just mean Russia, you know, I mean Saudi Arabia, Israel, China um, Turkey, you know Whoever wanted you know, something and was willing to pay up, I think Trump gave them an in. I don't know how that's going to affect us as a, you know, allegedly sovereign nation in the years to come. Like, it's it's going to be pretty horrific, I think, to, to see how this plays out. Um, And we're not unique. I mean, I think the UK and a lot of other Western nations are suffering through the same thing, but it's a new world order uh, and not mm-hmm. a good one.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, um, you know, that does make me nervous for the future because, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, Trump is a genius in some ways, and he's just really he's not very smart in other ways. He's just plain not not very intelligent. And like there's certain things that he does that he could be more effective. Right. If he just didn't shoot himself in the foot all the time. But I feel like the danger is somebody else that isn't as I don't know, lacking in certain ways. We'll see what he's done, what he's broken, the ways to get in, and they'll go the same route, and they just won't be as blatant about it.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think we already have that in people mm-hmm. like Mitch McConnell. Oh, yeah. You know, right, we right. have these and Pence, um, right. you know, these sort of traditional Republican underhanded, you know, snakes who people don't kind of see as prototypical autocrats. You know, they're not acting like demagogues. They're not having mass, you know, hate rallies in the way that Trump is. But in their disregard for rule of law uh, in their abuse of power, you know, they're acting in that tradition and they're able to navigate the bureaucracy very effectively. And I do think it's possible that we'll have a slicker successor. You know, my fear has always been because I think this is clearly Trump's goal, is to put a dynastic kleptocracy, to install, you know, probably Ivanka, but also possibly Jared, in a position of power. And I think we have foreign countries that are very interested in having, you know, one of those two be in a position of power. Um, And we certainly have a Republican Party that does not want free and fair elections. You know, they're actively trying to suppress the vote. They're welcoming election interference and, you know, cyber interference. And, Uh, You know, I don't know whether we're going to have a free and fair presidential election like again um, in my lifetime. You know, I I don't see the urgency uh, that should be given to this issue being given to it by the Democrats. I think they're so afraid, as they were in 2016, and this completely backfired on them, uh, to tell people about the threats to the integrity of our system. They think it's going to make people not come out and vote, whereas honestly, one of the few things that can offset a threat that that enormous is mass turnout is like a real powerful show that you know we are voting for this party uh and you know your the outcome can perhaps be questioned in a more credible way if we can show strength in numbers. They're just not um they're not taking this as seriously as they need to, and I know it's early in the campaign process. Uh, but we've had so many talks about, you know, candidate scandals at this point, and very little talk about serious structural issues that are going to affect every voter. And I wish that there was more of that. The only person I see really, you know, pounding in on that issue is Stacey Abrams, you know, who of course as yet is not running, but at least uh, she's combating it because she, of course, experienced it firsthand in Georgia.
0: Right. I mean, she ran against the Secretary of State. How is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that
1: happens, you know, like in Missouri, we had, yeah, but you didn't know, he something. launch an
0: investigation? Against he Trump did.
1: Donald well, he Trump. launched a group, Jason Kander launched a group called Let's Let America Vote immediately huh. after the election. And you know, I mean, I've sort of hinted at this in previous interviews. He did honestly, I don't trust the result of the 2016 Missouri Senate election. Like, when I looked at the margins at where he lost, like, which counties, like, I know the state well enough. Um, It didn't seem accurate to me. It didn't reflect what I saw on the ground covering the campaign. Uh, It seemed off. uh, The same seemed true of the governor's race. I actually do think Trump won Missouri. Like I I wouldn't contest that. But candor, I I think possibly one as well. And because Missouri is the dark money capital of the U.S. and is also this sort of like petri dish for Republican experience and experiments and, you know, uh, anti-democracy, I could easily see them uh, doing things with our you know, polling machines are election machines. There is a lot of complaints about things not working. I could see something, for example, like we know that uh, Russia is interested in our polling data. I think an easy way of suppressing the vote is simply dropping people from the polls, you know, having them show up and be like, oh, sorry, you're not on here. You've got to go in counties that, you know, in areas that they need to target. Um, yeah, you know, I think that that possibly might have happened. And there's never been any investigations. Of course, everything I'm saying is speculation, but uh, it would be weird to me if Russia went to these great lengths uh, to obtain all this data, to examine our election machines, to volunteer to be election monitors, which they were doing unilaterally, um, not through the OSCE or something And then didn't mess with the vote. Like, I'm trying to figure out the scenario where they're like, nah, you know, let's not do it, guys. Like, (laughs) that's illegal. I mean, I I just don't, I don't see that happening with either Russia or the GOP. Um, But there's, of course, was no, there was no investigation. So who knows? But uh yeah, you know, it's, it's very troubling. And again, I think that's one of those roads that the Democrats don't want to go down. They don't want to sound like sore losers. They don't want to sound like they're just um, bitching and whining and that they're doubting the integrity of the system. I do think we need to question the integrity of the system when the system's obviously been breached numerous times uh, and there's been no accountability. I think that's pretty reasonable.
0: Well, I mean, I just you think about how the Republicans would act if it was them and they were ready to impeach Hillary Clinton before she even took office. I remember oh, yeah. there was talk of that. Um, just amazing. And and Democrats get in power and they're, I guess, afraid to lose it. But you, use it or lose it. You know, I mean, and what do you Republic? You know, that is the one thing I'm not going to say I respect it, but I would do wish re- de- Democrats would take a lesson Every once in a while from Republicans and just like we always say like, oh, well, if this was Obama, if this was Clinton, what would you say? We never take that next step and be like, well, maybe we should do that, too. Like, yeah. if we do this, let's you know, why don't we try that one time? They have everything. I mean, but say, how do you think they got everything
1: in <laughs> terms of legal activities. They've had good strategies like the, you know, grassroots Tea Party esque focusing on local elections, you know, getting very involved on a, a sort of, um, you know, micro level. That was smart, creating a giant propaganda network, also smart. I mean, I'd rather it not be a propaganda network. I'd rather it just convey accurate information. But, you know, and also just sort of, you know, owning your opinions, owning who you are, like not trying to just be nice and sweet and please everyone. But I mean, the reason that Adam Schiff went viral for that speech and the reason that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez you know, so frequently goes viral for the things she says are not because they're controversial statements, but because they're true and because we're so Unused to hearing someone speak honestly and passionately and in an informed way that the the sheer novelty of it uh, makes it take off. And I think you know that is what uh, people need to embrace, you know, in the Democratic Party. They need to stop trying to be like, oh, we're the calm and reasonable ones. It's like no one should be feeling calm right now. There's nothing to be calm about. Like when there are children, you know, snatched from their parents and put in cages and sexually assaulted, when we have a rush asset in the White House backed by a crime syndicate when we have, you know, uh, elected officials and judges behaving as though they're above the law uh, and no means of accountability. Like there's and then, you know, climate change and all these other issues that we have to contend with. There's no reason to be calm. And I think the average American is not feeling particularly calm right now. You know, they're watching this sociopathic nuke fetishist, you know, hold the reins of the White House, and they're reasonably freaked out. Um, And I think, you know, uh, officials should feel free to be forthright about that. You know, another one who I think is effective that it always has been is Maxine Waters. You know, she held Mm -hmm. her ground. She came out swinging from the start. She said we need to impeach him. He's a criminal. He's a liar. He's a racist. You know, she didn't mince words. And people are hungry for that uh, because it's true. Not because it's like a rhetorical strategy or, you know, something that they pull tested but just because it's true like I, I don't know why that has to be uh you know so complicated
0: yeah maxine waters was on top of the iron contra thing from the beginning too so yeah you know, she's been in the game but aoc yeah i'm glad you mentioned her i love i i love uh, everything that she's doing but i it makes me love it even more that republicans get so mad about her just for existing just for doing oh, yeah. her thing it's amazing oh. Like,
1: it's, it's yeah yeah she's she's great and i like her a lot and it's it's crazy to me how people see her as this, you know, radical, like just because historically speaking, the, the policies that she's advocating are, you know, they would have been moderate, like during the time of the New Deal or during like Harry Truman's proposed fair deal or even like under Eisenhower, some of the things that she's putting forward would be moderate um, proposals. But we've gone so far to the right. Um, but, you know, I think people respond to just the, the pragmatism of her. I mean, she's held up as this kind of radical radical idealist, but many of the issues she's speaking about, particularly environmental issues, she's far more sensible and pragmatic um, than the, you know, so-called moderate or conservative wing of the Democratic Party. Because, you know, the reality is if we don't act on climate change now, we are heading for a humanitarian catastrophe, an economic catastrophe, uh, and their unwillingness to do anything about it. That's, you know, the idealism. That's the senselessness, you know, not what ocasio Tez is talking about so yeah you know I hope people um, take her seriously I feel like she's sometimes unfairly dismissed because of her age uh, her gender and because she has become this like you know target for the right so she has to spend so much of her time like swatting off these attacks and she's very good at that but she's better at you know outlining policy so I hope mm-hmm. that they give her just as much time to do that as to you know bat away uh, annoying you know Fox News anchors and whatnot.
0: Well, I mean, she had one of my favorite moments of that Michael Cohen hearing when she basically laid the groundwork to get Trump's taxes. I mean, obviously, they already had that power, but now it's like she's asked some very simple, factual questions and, you know, she got right to it and – you know, that was, that was okay, all right, I guess we need to see the taxes then. So. Yes, yeah, exactly.
1: And so, you know, she laid that groundwork and again, I'm kind of like, okay, so where yeah. are the taxes? You know, right. like I'm, I'm working on a book now and like one of the things that I was writing about um, earlier this week was the fact that, you know, the Czech Stasi, like back when it was, you know, the Czech uh, Socialist Republic, you know, in the 1970s, there were these files that were found in 2016, saying that Trump had struck up some secret deal with a branch of the American government, unnamed in these documents, to not pay taxes for the next uh, 30 years. So I guess, you know, from 77 to um, 2007. And like, that sounds insane, but the document also laid out all these other things which came true, that Trump was contractually obligated to have three children with Ivanka, and Trump, I mean with Ivana, excuse me, um, and Whoa. Trump ran <laughs> you
0: know, run for president in
1: 1988, which nearly did. And then again, in 1996, which you nearly did, uh, you know, they're very strange documents They came from the monitoring of Ivana Trump, you know, of course, was from the Czech Republic, her father was there, he was working as an informant. I am wondering about these taxes because it, it is bizarre to me that we are this far in we are now on like year 4 of asking for Trump's taxes and that this isn't considered uh you know a crisis given his incredible history of corruption bankruptcies um you know mafia ties I wonder if some kind of deal was struck. I'm trying to think of an explanation why it would go on this long. You know, people like to give these sort of, you know, more mild ones like, oh, he's just not as rich as he seems. I'm like, oh, come on. Like if if that were the case, he would just be saying that, you know, he's the everyday man and he'd be he'd be using it for sympathy. Like it's very hard to find something that Trump can't spin. And I would think like making some sort of bizarre and illicit deal with the US government to not face taxes, that's pretty hard to spin. That's like one of the few things I can think of that just sort of blows my mind. And I'm like, is that even possible? And if it is, like, how the hell does that happen? You know? And maybe they don't want to tell. I don't know. But yeah, I wish they would uh I wish they'd heed her words.
0: mm mm-hmm. Well and there's no innocent explanation. For not either so i mean there's they don't even have a cover story like bernie hasn't
1: released his either and Mm -hmm. i'm kind of like you know this needs to just be like a requirement of any presidential candidate like i think we'll weed out you know any potential trumps and assuming we have a future in the future just with this simple requirement it will uh you know knock people out of the field so Mm -hmm.
0: well i mean do you have any favorites at this early date for the Democrats who do you think is good
1: um i mean not exactly like, i like warren i like that she's talking in a forthright way about corruption um you know i feel like she's you know, basically, they're all afraid to talk about what's happened, which is basically that a, tri- a crime syndicate, an international crime syndicate, has hijacked the government uh, and the presidency. I think they're afraid to say that in stark terms because it's so frightening. Uh, when she talks about, you know, kleptocracy, when she talks about white collar crime um, and criminal impunity, I-, I feel like she's kind of getting at that issue without addressing it in a forthright way. And whoever I vote for, I want, um, you know. Them to be somebody who will address that head on and, you know, root out the corruption and be very firm about it. So I lean towards her. Um, I like Pete Buttigieg, you know, in general. In the beginning, I was like, you know, the only person I knew who like knew who he was and liked him. I liked his early interviews. Uh, you know, there are things he said about kind of abandonment in the Midwest um, in his own, you know, videos that I've related to. Lately, uh, you know, there have been Not so much interviews he's done, but excerpts from his book that I read that I'm kind of like, you know, I want to know what you mean by that. Like, that's a strange way of phrasing things. Like, for example, when he talked about, um, you know, protests held to raise the salaries of uh, janitorial workers at Harvard in a kind of derisive way. Like, I want to know just like, did you intend to make it sound that way or is that just a terribly written paragraph or what? Um, You know, and the rest of them, I mean, I mostly am just stuck on we need to work on voter suppression. We need to make sure our elections, um, you know, are held with integrity are free and fair before we get into the candidates. Um, I do think the broadness of the field is actually good because it prevents uh, a smear from sticking to anybody from too long, you know, especially for the female candidates. Like if all that misogyny, uh, were leveled at one woman, you know, we know what it would look like. It would look like 2016. So if there's going to be an incredibly sexist election, uh, which there is, uh, unfortunately, this time around as well, it's, I guess, at least evenly distributed. It's sad that this is, like, my uh, my improvement is that, <laughs> um, you know, mm-hmm. would it would really be ideal if I just didn't have to think about this at all, but I guess I'd rather have it around. Uh, you know, there are only a few that I really don't want, like, Howard Schultz, uh, no. Tulsi uh, oh, Gummer, oh. no. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm really not a fan of, of Biden or Bernie. I feel like they've both mm. kind of had their time. I mean, if they were the Democratic me. obviously I would vote for them and, you know, I, I would campaign for them and I would do anything I could to get Trump out. Um, but, you know, there are better contenders, I think. And I just want to see how they respond to ongoing crises. You know, a lot is going to change between now and November uh, 2020. And I don't think it's going to change for the better. Um, so I want to see how they react to what's to come.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the really important question I have to ask you is, how do you feel about Axl Rose being the lead singer of ACDC now that Brian Johnson, he, he maybe he's getting his hearing back, he might be the lead singer of ACDC again? I don't know.
1: Yeah is that like that's a temporary thing though right because uh, well i
0: heard it being... for them
1: before and they've always done acdc covers like they always do a whole lot of rosie at like every concert yeah. but what i had read that was exciting was that they're putting out a new album and i know better than to get like too excited about a new g&r album because at one point <laughs> i had spent half of my life waiting for one like it had literally been half my life like by the time that chinese democracy came out you know it's like people were like oh my god the molar report is so slow i'm like please bitch like i'm gonna GNR fan like I can wait forever but um, yeah you know if he's if he's doing ACDC like I don't know I mean I feel like, yeah I, I could deal with that I just want to make sure that this GNR reunited doing live concerts continues because if they come back again like I'm totally going to go Again, like I, I just I still can't believe it happened. Like, I still think about that day whenever I'm like, Am I hallucinating everything? Like, the Trump presidency, <laughs> this Russia stuff. Like, I, it's obviously so deranged that I've made it up. Like, I'm in a coma or something. And like, reunited GNR completely fits into that. Like, what would I dream about <laughs> in a coma? Of course, I dreamed that I went and saw reunited GNR. So, really? so I start to question my own <laughs> sanity. And yeah, sure, Axel singing for ACDC, that fits right into something else I would hallucinate. So, yeah, it's yep. all good. I'm obviously in some kind of drug abuse. <laughs> <store,
0: so. laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know i i actually think he makes sense for acdc as a singer like oh, i've yeah. heard some i it, it it translates well i don't have a problem with it uh it, you know some... the vocal range is dead
1: on and i yeah. think he's actually he sings with more heart in a way so yeah i approve it i just like i prefer guns and roses like lyrically. <laughs> you know like I, I want this to keep going i'm still super excited about it
0: but... oh absolutely cool Well, hey, thank you for coming on again. And uh, I hope uh, we can do this again. And uh, yeah, uh, this is, I hope the Skype has sounded okay. It sounded okay to me.
1: Yeah, it sounded good. I'm going to have to, you know, look into how to record this. I'm so technologically impaired. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was good to to try it out on the receiving end. Cool.
0: All right. Well, have a good rest of your night. All right. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 138th episode, our returning guest is Sarah Kenzier. You first heard Sarah Kenzier on episode 70, 80, 89, 99, 112, and 128. Sarah Kenzier is best known for her reporting on St. Louis, her coverage of the 2016 election, and her academic research on authoritarian states. She is currently an op-ed columnist for The Globe and Mail, and was named by Foreign Policy as one of the 100 people you should be following on Twitter to make sense of global events. Her reporting has been featured in many publications, including Politico, Slate, The Atlantic, Fast Company, The Chicago Tribune, Teen Vogue, and The New York Times. Her book, The View from Flyover Country, Dispatches from the Forgotten America, was published April 17, 2018, and is now a New York Times bestseller. You can listen to her podcast, which she co-hosts with Andrea Chalupa, Gaslit Nation. Also, a quick shout-out before we start the show to Mercer Suppager, who created the brand new logo for The Rob Burgess Show. You can see more of his work at www.mtsuppiger.com. And now, on to the show.